You know I'm back, like I never left. I never left. Another sprint, another step, another step, another day, another breath. Another breath. Been chasing dreams, but I never slept. Hey, what's up everyone? Dustin Grust, the Greatness Facilitator here with the SU2G Podcast. My goal with these podcasts is to share my experience or to interview guests whose stories, life, or work could inspire all of us to live greater lives ourselves. My guest today I've known many, many years as he was a close friend of my older brother's as we're growing up. And then over the years, we've become friends and supporters of one another through social media. He is a man that has traveled to places far and wide, but he has landed back in Cleveland to host his own morning radio show on WINT Integrity Radio. Host of the John Coupo Show, John Coupo. With the name, the John Coupo Show, who else was it going to be? I didn't get too original on that one. Ah, with a name like John Coupo, you don't need to be more original than that. I'm good, man. How you doing today? We're hanging in there. We're getting ready for this winter vortex rolling through northeast Ohio. So it's going to see how much hair is on people's chests the next couple of days. Yep, we're going to be hearing all about it. You know, we already got water mains breaking in, in Middleburg Heights, Ohio, and affecting Strongsville and Berea. And yeah, all of that took out like half of the west side. Yep, there we're just on the outskirts of that ourselves, where we're living at in Berea, and. My wife still wants to boil the water just in case. So, yeah, good old times. But, you know, that's why I love her. She's always trying to take care of us. So, yeah. So for those of you that missed uh, JC here and I, he had me on a show back in December and it was an awesome experience for me. Uh, but, John, you've also had some other uh, great radio and announcing jobs. If you could give us a quick overview on some of those gigs you've had, and out of those you've had, are any of them your favorite particular? Well, it all started in 2011 as I took my first trek in radio to, uh, started out on Sunday mornings at 2 a.m. in Oberlin College doing a one-hour radio show just playing music for free. Wow. And... I just had that itch, man, is that I, back in the early, mid-2000s, is I was doing radio spots for ESPN in Cleveland, and I would call up and I'd do different impressions and everything, and after a while, I'm like, you know, if I'm doing these constantly, why can I not try to get paid to do this kind of thing? And, you know, I always had a knack for talking to people, talking about sports, just a whole variety of topics, and kind of like what people I know have told you a thousand and one times is that, you know, God, if God gave me anything, it was a voice. Mm -hmm. So, hey, let's see what we can find. And I found that little gig and started doing that. And then no more than, I want to say three months after that, I had my first paying gig down in Lexington, Kentucky with ESPN 1300. And within a month of that, I ended up on Colin Coward's show, The Herd, being the representative for University of Kentucky basketball because that was the year they won the championship and I became his go-to guy. And it really just blossomed from there, getting involved with NASCAR in Kentucky for their first year with the Monster Cup Energy Series. And then after that, I went down to Charlotte, North Carolina to be on ESPN 730, which landed me a few months later to full-time gig in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina with CBS Sports, which would eventually... Uh, lead me back up here. I actually started out at 1021 WDOK in Cleveland for a little bit. And me and uh, if anybody out there knows my personality and Dustin, I know you know my personality is that I'm really not the Casey Kasem type guy. And it's hard for me to get jacked up about Taylor Swift and Carrie Underwood and Kelly Clarkson and all that stuff. <laughs> but I kind of weathered the storm a little bit. And, uh, the next big jump for me was heading out to Sacramento, California to be the PA announcer for the Sacramento River Cats, which is the AAA affiliate of the San Francisco Giants, and I did that over the summer. And in that time, I was working on some things with WINT here about doing some things, and lo and behold, talks improved and got a little bit more serious. And when I came back in early September, 
I had a full-time morning show gig lined up for me to start in October. So it's been a wild ride, man. I've seen a lot of places, done a lot of things, talked to a lot of great people. But as you mentioned, the goal was always here and to come home and do it. And I'm just hoping as days go by and weeks go by that I'm building that audience. And I love the fact that a lot of my friends and people that I was acquaintance with back in Berea growing up and everything listen to the show and are supporting me. And I can't ask for anything more than that's just been absolutely great. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Uh, one thing I will quick point out, though, you said you can't get hyped for that music, yet you had no problem listing those three female artists. Just going to point that out to you, though. Well, hey, man, it's, when you hear it, you have to remember, when I when I was there in doing the Christmas music, you know, they're one of the two stations around here, along with WMJI, that plays the 24-hour Christmas music. I somehow had 32 shifts in 30 days of doing Christmas music. Oof. And stations like that, that commercial radio, they repeat all the songs a lot. So I could hear the same artist three or four times during a regular five-hour shift. So it comes embedded in your head, and you can't run from it. You know, I, I feel you on that. A lot of my experience was in customer service growing up. You know, we both worked at one of the malls at the same time, and the uh when you are in retail and the christmas music starts in october and you're hearing it over and over that's one of the reasons why i cannot listen to christmas music myself unless if we're going looking at lights or if it's christmas eve or christmas day i just can't do christmas music i remember i remember working at lids and you know they had their own cd's they wanted us to play and i'm like nope screw that i ripped my own CDs, I would put a Christmas song here and there and there, but I also would put in like Adam Sandler's Hanukkah song, and then just more current songs and popular songs going at the time, but yeah, that Christmas music was tough for me, and I, and I still struggle with it. <laughs> it gets you, and then you start realizing that you're actually calling out the name of the next song because you've heard it so many times, you know, the track listing of it, so it can get to you. Oh, absolutely. I, I haven't had it that bad, but that's that's rough, man. Even worse than that, I remember working at a Borders bookstore across from a KB Express, KB Toys, and out in front of their store, they had uh, one of their little karaoke machines with one of those Kids Bop CDs in it, and right. they played that over and over, and it must have been the kid of one of the producers of the CD or something that got to be on the CD, you know, I had to have one of those kind of connections because he was singing so off pitch and you could hear it and it just drove me nuts. All right. Um, so you kind of mentioned why you already got into radio, but one of the things I am enjoying about your show on WNT right now is that aside from myself, you've used your platform to promote other Berea High School alumni like author Dan Largent, who was just on your show last week. But who's been your favorite interview you've had so far? And I don't mean between me and Dan because we know the answer to that one. But who has been your favorite interview you've ever done? I mean, Dan back to on Colin Coward and all that stuff. What sticks out in your head? I have to say that one, even though I wasn't the conductor of that interview, as I mentioned, I'd only been on the job for about a month. And next thing you know, I get a phone call from the producers. Hey, can you go on his show in five minutes? And it's like, oh my gosh. But I still to this day use that audio clip as a resume uh, builder for me, a, a key bullet point to not just show that I was on a national show, but because of how I conducted myself and making sure that I had all my facts correct. And if anybody who's anyone knows Colin Coward, his main objective is to get you to say something bad about what he wants you to say something bad about. And there are a couple of questions in his interview that he was trying to get me to bash on Kentucky and I wouldn't do it. And I got a lot of praise from their people afterwards, but I would have to say my favorite interview Oh, my goodness. That's a really good question, Dustin. I'm going to say 
Hall of Famer Barry Larkin from the Cincinnati Reds when I was in Lexington. Nice. Uh, at, at that time, his kid was playing, uh, well, you probably know, uh, Shane Larkin mm-hmm. from the University of Miami. And I think he went on to play with the Nets or the Knicks or something like that. But we were talking about that, and he had just been inducted to the Hall. And, you know, Cincinnati is pretty much the home team for Lexington. And I th- the interview itself was okay, but I just think it was that fact that I was talking to a genuine Hall of Famer, a guy that you mentioned his name, everybody knows. And, mm-hmm. and being in a market like Lexington, you know, when you think about people like that and these big name celebrities and big name analysts for ESPN and everything like that, Lexington doesn't stick out as their main priority. You know, it's Miami, Boston, LA, Chicago, and Lexington is just a small little rinky dink operation in the middle of the state. But the fact that I went through my channels and I did it the professional way to land an interview with Barry Larkin, I just, it kind of put it in the perspective of where I thought I was going to be able to go at that point because I just wasn't settling for the local uh, Kentucky University Athletic Store owner for the sixth time in seven weeks. <laughs> you know, just, just kind of grabbing those people that I knew I could get. I wanted to go a little bit above and beyond, and when that happened, I, I realized that we had something going. Awesome. Yeah, talk to a Hall of Famer, man. That, that's got to be quite an experience. I mean, it's really I mean, e- even more than talking to a, I don't know, a greatness facilitator. But but yeah, that's awesome, dude. Well, let's just say he, he's there's one A and one B, and you two can fight over which one that is. <laughs> right on. <laughs> All right. Uh, to get to some of the meats of why I really wanted to have you on here, um, I wanted to have you on for a couple reasons. One of them is that you're a very open, transparent, and honest was something that is very taboo for many, especially men, and that would be your mental health. What can you Absolutely. tell us what can you tell us about your situation and why you're so open about it? Well, um, back in two thousand six is I was diagnosed with a very severe case of bipolar and <clears throat> leading up to that point I won't go too long on it, but I always knew there was something wrong. I just didn't know what. And it was I would be super energetic, I'd have all this motivation, want to do all these different types of things one minute, and the next minute I was just super sad, not motivated, didn't want to do anything. And as you mentioned, it's a very taboo subject, so I never looked at it like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the farthest extent that I got is I did see a psychologist at one point and trying to find out all these things, you know, was there a childhood trauma that happened, was there something outside of my family that happened that kind of scarred me? I never got anywhere with that, so I was like, well, this is pointless because you're trying to dig something out of me for $200 an hour that you're not going to get because it's not there. Mm. So, for whatever reason, in 2006, I I, I don't know, I, I, don't, I still can't remember to say why it prompted me to see a psychiatrist because I was hurting... Um, I was getting these really bad headaches, and but I was sad, and then I would, you know, just have these mood swings or whatever. So I said, you know, just, just see. And I, I was more under the impression I wasn't going to be that, that it was just something underlying. And that's what I can tell you, buddy, is that that day when I told, when I was told, because we did some blood tests and everything, and they came back, and when they said that I had that, that was probably the toughest day of my life because my family history is... They're very, oh, I don't want to say this too mean, but it's just rub some dirt on it and it'll go away no matter what it is. Mm -hmm. And when I found that out, I knew I was going to have to tell people and because I had to be honest, not only with them, but more so with myself to say, you know, this, I understand it. It's not going to go away. This is not a curable disease. This is something I'm probably going to have the rest of my life unless there's some miracle drug that comes out. And, you know, 13 years later, here we are, and there's still not, not even closer to it. But going back to the family thing was I was very worried about getting alienated because um, I just know how they would speak about it and things of that nature. And 
that's really what it boiled down to was when I was open with it with my family and that's really everybody from my immediate family to my extended family is that I have become alienated mm-hmm. and you know there's nothing really more that I can do about that this happened several years ago and I've grown to accept it and the thing I believe I told you when we interviewed and I know I've told you this before is that anybody can be a mother and a father but it takes a special person to be a mom and a dad mm-hmm. and I know uh, your parents, Joyce and George, uh, they're a mom and a dad <laughs> because I know how they raised uh, you, Dave and Eric. Um, I know how they treated us when we would go over there mm-hmm. in high school and even prior to that. And, you know, that's something I haven't had for a long time. And I guess the reason that I've become so open with it is because I didn't have an initial support group because everybody was scared. Mm-hmm. A lot of my habits, my tendencies, my emotions could get out of control and I wasn't viewed as a very likable person and I felt early on that I had to, I guess, apologize for a lot that I did and I felt bad about it because there was some people like yourself and like Dave and, you know, guys like uh, Jeff, Scott, Derek, Tim, you know, you know the group. Right, right. that I was okay around them, but then in certain situations I'd become very nasty, and not physically nasty, but I I have a mouth on me, and I still do, but um, it would be in a hurtful way, and I I knew I hurt a lot of people up until that point, but then as I started to go through this and, and kind of see what I was doing, I was apologizing for a lot, but the problem that I was running into was people weren't understanding why I was apologizing. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that was, I would say, I'm sorry, you know, I, I have a mental illness and here's all the ins and outs about it. You can read about it here, read about it here. And they didn't want to understand that part of it. They just thought that I was saying sorry because I had said something mean, I'd hurt their feelings. But one thing to this day, Dustin, and this is still kind of a bugaboo for me and it hurts and it gets emotional to think about it, but very few people have said sorry back to me. Something like that, I mean, yeah. Never 
And the reason we didn't is because we had outlets to stay in touch via social media, via the phone, via text, all these different outlets. I wanted to give people that option with me too. Gotcha. Because, you know, in the past couple of years, and you're a sports guy like me, as we've seen athletes, Kevin Love, probably the most prominent of that group, but DeMar DeRozan has done it as well. Um, I know Kyle Lowry did it, and there's been other members or in, in all the uh, professional sports that have come out, but people want to identify with those people. But do you really think there's an arm shot in hell that if I called the Cleveland Cavs right now to speak to Kevin Love because I'm having an episode that he would take my phone call. That's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. And I, I wanted to be someone not as a prominent position as a Kevin Love, but in a position being in the media and whatnot to where I did not want to be untouchable. I still wanted people to be able to reach out and remember me for playing wiffle ball in the backyard or, you know, mm-hmm. having pool parties or sleepovers or making stupid movies or stuff like that to be the John Coupo that they grew up with and had a good time with that has been fighting this fight for a really long time. And now he's in a place where he can extend that message to say, listen, guys, I'm here for you. But at the same time, don't let it don't let it inconvenience you. Don't let it handicap you. I told you that's in a, a thousand times. I'm not supposed to be able to do what I do because of my, I should be the biggest introvert that anybody ever met. But you, of a lot of people know, introverts don't dress up as Paul Stanley from Kiss. They don't do skits as Matt Foley, motivational speaker in front of thousands of people. They don't start their own band. They don't go on the radio. They don't just be the person that I am. It's not supposed to work that way. So I, I've said it that I've become an, a medical anomaly in the med field, which I don't really like that association. <laughs> like, I don't want to be the, Oh, look at you. You're, you're special. Oh, great. <laughs> but, um, yeah, man, it's, um, yeah, I'm sorry about getting long winded, but no. uh, a lot of people don't want to be that open about it and talk about all those ins and outs, but it really came down to, Wanting to be an accessible voice for people, but also to show a lot of people that, yes, it can be a son of a bitch, and, but at the same time, you can still go out and do things. And yet sometimes, you know, it's, my, it's a double-edged sword for me that a lot of the things I feel that I've done in my career, not only just in radio, but just overall, I don't think I would have been able to do without episodes of mania or anything like that. So I hate it. I wish I never had it. I wish I could change a lot about it. But at the same time, I look at some things. I'm like, well, you know, if I didn't flip out that one time and got all motivated and stayed up for 72 hours straight trying to make this work, I wouldn't have done it. So, you know, in a way, it's really odd is that it does have some benefits. Now, don't let's not kids PSA John Cooper right now let's not go out and start looking for cases of bipolar for yourself on the streets or anybody like that but you know that that's the thing about it, is that it has helped me in some capacity when I'm able to wrap everything around and you know go about my normal routine and and that's you know a powerful message because you are doing those things and you are doing it you know despite what the hand you've been dealt you're you're making the most uh the hand you've been dealt and you know that's that's definitely saying something about you and going into that not just you wanting to be there for your friends and the people that listen to you on the radio and whoever else comes across your path but the other reason i wanted to have you on is despite everything you're going through you know you're not just sitting there you're constantly trying to lift up others through your humor through your, you know, your positivity, you know, through your, you know, different pieces, uh, you know, on your radio show. But one of the groups that you're constantly trying to lift up are kids. And, you know, kids like special guests you've had in the Rivercats announcer booth or that Astros super fan, Chloe, who you've done, you know, gotten things arranged for her and helped her out and stuff. Many people would ask, why do you, do those things when you have so much on your plate and you know why are kids you know so special to you that you're doing this for them i have to say it's because i realize that 
as an adult, I realized how hard it was to, and I still haven't accepted, but that negativity that follows what comes with being or having a mental illness or some sort of uh, even physical, any any handicap whatsoever, doesn't matter if it's physical, mental, whatever. And I realized how hard that is to accept as an adult. And a lot of childhood behavior is taught. It's not, it, it's not a carryover. It's not inherited. It's just taught. And the reason I, I do this for these kids is because, Dustin, you and I could go through a laundry list of people that we grew up with in my grade, in your grade, people in between, a, a, any one of our schools, and say they were quiet then, and we don't hear from them now. We don't know what happened to them. It's like they fell off the face of the earth. Mm-hmm. Um, we also, unfortunately, know people that were quiet or didn't seem like they had it all together back then. And unfortunately, and it's sorry to say, is that they're no longer with us. And it's scary to me. And when I think about doing the things for the kids and everything like that, I don't want to alienate anybody because I realize how, you know, how kind of I felt. If it's going to hurt me at 28, 29 years old, it's definitely going to hurt a seven, eight, nine year old as well because they are very sensitive and where do you go from that point if they start that early and it's you know what's going to happen when they are 29 30 years old so you know to give them an outlet and let them be able to do something that they can do you know when you mentioned the river cat thing and having kids in that booth were they all great absolutely not but the fact that where they were sitting overseeing a complete huge awesome stadium watching a baseball game calling out their favorite players and just talking in that microphone where everybody could hear them they were in control they were in charge they were the top dog in that situation if nothing good happens to them for the rest of their life and i'm not hoping that that does by any means but they will always hold on to that Mm -hmm. and that is one of the things with having a mental illness is that whether it's doing what I do in the media, whether it's playing a sport, whether it's playing an instrument, whatever hobby they have, these are some of the most talented kids I've ever been around in my life. And I don't want to see them not pursue something that they love to do. You mentioned Chloe. And I did that because she was being a kid. She got yelled at for being a kid. This had nothing to do with her um, inherited disease, unfortunately. And you could see the, the rejection in her face, her demeanor at a baseball game as an eight-year-old child. Are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. And that's just, it's so not acceptable. I mean, she's cheering her home team at a baseball game and someone decided to say, you need to be quiet. That's unbelievable. She was just being a kid. Had nothing to do with what was wrong with her. Mm-hmm. You know, it's with the Rivercats, there was nothing wrong with them. They just wanted to talk. They wanted to talk baseball. And they it was funny they couldn't pronounce names. Or what I would try to tell them, say, hey, you know, when you say this person's name, roll your R's like, grr, like that. And they would do it. I would start laughing. I had everybody in that booth laugh, and the crowd would start cheering. And I know those kids felt like a million bucks. So, awesome. you know, with all the problems that we have today with the sensitivity to every freaking thing that people talk about to – you know, there's racial issues, there's gender issues, just everything. It's all taught behavior. Mm-hmm. And I know I can't be around kids 24-7, but if I can just give them one sense of hope, one sense of positivity to do something great, to do something fun, to do something that they enjoy, to entertain others, to make them smile, then i got to jump at that at every possibility. And you got to get them when they're young, man. Absolutely. That's incredible. What do you wish more people knew about you and about the stigma around mental health? That it's really not so much about me, Dustin, because, uh, you know, I, at this point, cause I've been so open with it and the people that I come in contact with within a, a, a short amount of time being that close to them is that they find out that I have it. And the people that I've known for a long time that know that I have it, They've made up their decision at this point, whether they're going to 
upset me, whether they're going to change. You know, I mentioned that very few. I've really never heard anybody say I'm sorry to me, and it still holds true to this day. I've never seen that. And it's more so to understand that, yes, this disease is exactly that. People want to say it's all in your head. Well, guess what, buddy? You're you're 100% right. It is in my head. Um, you know, we a lot of the diseases that scare people or make them worry are your terminal illnesses. You know, you look at cancer, uh, ALS, um, you, you know, to, ones that actually have, that can, that can take your life. And th- those are very scary. And those seem to be the one that people gravitate towards, whether it's charitable um, or just in good faith or whatnot. But I have to be 100% honest, Dustin, and people have challenged me on this, is that having a mental illness is actually worse than having a terminal illness. And I want to be very specific and I want to be very forthright in why I say this is when you, let's just compare it to cancer. I said, yes, it, well, cancer is going to take your life. You're exactly right. It's going to take your life. It's going to wear you down. It's going to take your insides and just beat them to a pulp to where you can no longer live. Mm-hmm. Mental illness in, the, in some of the states that are out there, especially mine, is that it won't kill me. It's not going to run me down. It's not going to one day make my heart stop or anything like that. But what it does is it does make you live in constant pain and hate of yourself, hate of the world and everything like that. So you, it's a torturing disease. Mm. And you ask yourself, well, okay, would you rather, let's go back to the Middle Ages, would you rather be on a rack and have your arms and legs pulled consistently for the rest of your life and just in that constant pain or you just rather have it end right there, say, I don't want to do this. That's kind of what it compares to is that my limbs are always getting pulled and I cannot run away from it. I've been very open about how the medicinal aspects of my disease don't help me. They actually hurt me. So I cannot take a manageable medication to help. And it hurts. You know, there are days I wake up and I hurt. There's days I go through the whole day and I hurt. And there's nothing I can do about it. And it is torturous. And the problem that arises from that is, you know, suicide rates and and just suicide in general. That you get to that point. The bipolar is not going to take your life. The mental illness, the depression, the anxiety, that's not going to take your life. You end up taking your life. Because mm-hmm. it beats you that bad. And it's, it's like, well, what do you mean you're not doing it that it's doing it? Well, it's true because at the end of the day, people will always say that, well, it's not you, it's the bipolar, it's not you, it's the depression, it's not you, it's the anxiety. Well, <laughs> I'm the only way, it's the only inside me, so yes, it is me. Mm. It does become part of your personality, and that's really the sucky part about it. And that's, that's kind of where it goes, is that you, in some extents, and mine being one of them, is that I live in that torturous phase every day. Some days it's there, but the majority, or some I should say some days it's not there. I may have a decent day every once in a while, but the majority of it is bad because of the chemical makeup. It's not a made-up disease. I mean, it is chemically imbalanced, and you have certain, everybody has it, those chemicals inside their body, and when they're not right, they cause issues, and that's what's happened to me. So that's, that's probably the hardest part about it, my man, is that living in that torturous lifestyle where you're always getting pulled and it always hurts. And you've said that I've done a lot, and I greatly appreciate that. I greatly appreciate that you've recognized the things that I do, but a reason that I have to do all those things because I'm trying day in and day out to do as much stuff possible to keep my mind from drifting into the places I don't want it to drift to. Mm. Well, it's certainly a clearer picture. Um, about it and I appreciate your being open and honest about that again and your honesty with everything that you experience and and even the way it makes you feel and it's it's not easy for anyone to talk about how they feel in general and just being that open and honest with that is is definitely uh, eye-opening so thank you um, 
right. You're a big sports fan. You're not afraid to go toe-to-toe with anyone when it comes to debating sports. However, let's just keep it light. What is your favorite sports memory? Your favorite sports memory. It could be, you know, your from your days playing sports. It could be from professional sports, whatever you feel. What's your favorite memory? I, it, I, this, well, it's pretty much a no-brainer. It's 2016, down 3-1. Mm-hmm. Uh, LeBron makes one of two free throws, and Curry brings the ball down, shoots a three, doesn't go in. Maurice Spates grabs that ball matter to see the Cleveland Cavaliers win a championship it was <laughs> it was euphoric man um, absolutely I've made it quite known over the years that you know I've always been a Cavs fan first you know I, mm. I like the Browns a lot I like the Indians but the Cavs have always been my thing that dates back to the, I'm, when I was in Reim and uh, I was able to go shoot free throws at the Richfield Coliseum to win uh, to win a prize on their court and it, that was in seventh grade and I had broken my leg in seventh grade so I walked out on the court with a cast on my knee trying to shoot free throws and I missed the first one but then I made nine in a row in seventh grade on the Richfield Coliseum and it, it's just I mean I, I know they everybody says Cleveland's a football town that's great whatever but I, I I still can't. When I think about it, I you know how many times I've gone back to that YouTube video and watched that final five minutes of that game. All right, it's unbelievable. And to hear Mike Breen call it and to see the the jubilation, I remember it's one of those moments. I know exactly where I was, what I was doing, where I was wearing, uh, where Adrian was in the living room, what the cats were doing. It was just amazing, and and the fact that we got one. I think it was in 2015 when they had gone the first time, and I said, or I should say second time, but I said, I don't care. If the Cavs win a championship, they could trade the whole team to Fiji, and I don't care. <laughs> and that's why I'm kind of okay with them being the worst excuse for a basketball team in the world right now. Right. Because I got, I got mine. We got right. it two years ago, so that has to be a I mean, just for the city, you saw the pour out of what, 3 million people, 3.1 million people downtown in Little Cleveland. It, it was just awesome. It yep. The, the atmosphere of the city after that for about two weeks was just amazing, uh, and that sticks out tenfold to me. Absolutely. I completely agree. I was uh, downtown for Game 7, and just the the energy being downtown. I mean, we we couldn't get out of downtown if we wanted to for at least two hours after the game was over. And but we didn't want to get out get out of there. It was something I won't ever forget either, just being down there. And my biggest you know, I don't want to say my biggest regret, I wish Leanne would have been down there with me for it. She wasn't feeling well that day. And so I went down with one of her good friends and and Dave and he was selling he opened his store that day for some reason Cleveland Clothing Company decided not to be open that day so everyone was coming to We Bleed Ohio and buying up shirts and then we went got to watch it and just being downtown for that you know Leanne did not get to experience what that feeling was being downtown with that championship she felt something a little bit similar to that after uh Rajay Davis's home run in Game Seven, the World Series. That was I told her then because we were at um, Punchbowl Social for that, and the place went nuts. And told her, you know, that's this is kind of like what that was, sweetie. But imagine it like a hundred times better. And uh, so I just wish she would have been there for that one. But still, 2016 was wild. I I still don't know. I think the world would have encapsulated itself had Cleveland won two championships in one year. Right. I mean, it would have, it would have set the world into oblivion yeah. had that happened. You're right, man. I remember when uh, Davis hit that home run. I I really felt I could go outside, and I was living at Avon Lake at the time, and 
I felt that if I went outside, I could probably hear progressive field with how loud it got. Because right. when he was rounding those bases, you could not hear Joe Buck or John Smoltz to save your life. Right. I know they were trying to say something, but there was no way it was going to be coherent of what they were saying. So no, that was that was an also an incredible moment. Just came up a few few rain soaked in short. Yeah, and any time I don't have to listen to Joe Buck is okay with me. That uh, cup. Cub loving Schwarber fan, geez. Goodness gracious. Yeah. So speaking of fandom, you were also a fan of rock music, one band in particular. In case anyone didn't already know, why is Kiss the best rock and roll band, in your opinion? Well, my man, you know, it it took a while for me to, to put it all the pieces together, and it, it wasn't really too long ago when I did that. Now you know that I've been doing the KISS thing since high school. Mm-hmm. And you know, the first time I got up on that stage, I was 16 years old and I had a broken foot. And it was probably the, well, it, was, it is still to this day, probably the most memorable performance I've ever had, any music-wise. But, you know, there was something about the mystique of it, you know, seeing these guys just completely get away from themselves and put makeup on, put on a show, the lights, the pyrotechnics, everything like that. But... It was a couple of years ago that's when I was like, why, why do I like Kiss so much? Why do I dress up as Matt Foley? Why do I, you know, imitate Ron Burgundy and make my own characters and put on mustaches and do all these weird things? And to be honest, man, and it's kind of a, I don't want to say it's shameful, but it gives me an outlet to run away from being John Cupo. And the John Cupo I know is a sad, depressed, um, hurting individual that struggles to get through life on a daily basis. But when I get to be Paul Stanley, I become Paul Stanley. I get to look out in the crowd. I can do points. I can do jazzercise leg kits. I can run around like I'm in a track meet or gymnastics routine, play guitar, entertain people. When I do my radio thing or whatever, I'm entertaining people and, they view me as a radio guy when I do other uh, impersonations. I'm being somebody else because I don't have to be me. And that was a very hard thing to accept for me because i that's truly the reason I feel why I do all those things. But as time goes on, it's not bad. You know, I'm fantastic at parties, man. <laughs> Instead of hiring the help, you just bring me, give me a phone call, I'll come and I'll... I'll do every which way from Sunday on you. So it's been a hard thing to accept, but at the same time, it's exposed me to so much because I have learned to play guitar and I did start the other band in the you know, early 2000s and uh, getting into art and getting into cooking and just all these different aspects of my life that I feel I'm quite talented to do. But I did them because I wanted to run away from <clears throat> you know who I was and, and just kind of sees basically living the lifestyle of somebody else trying to fill you know we always hear those things what you don't want to walk in my shoes you're exactly right i don't want anybody walk in my shoes but if you have the guts to walk around in seven inch leather heels <laughs> and, and body suit, then by all means do it you know knock yourself out and have fun with it man not to uh negate anything you just said but in kind of my personal opinion those things that you've started doing, those things that you've added, you know, learning to play guitar, artwork, cooking and stuff. I think instead of running away from who you are, I think you're actually finding out more of who you are. You're you're continuing to make yourself better, again, despite what you're experiencing and going through. And I could see why you would say you're running from who John Cooper really is, but I think... It's kind of more of the opposite. I think you're finding out more who you are. You know, you're role-playing and being someone else, stuff like it's still, it's that sense of adventure. It's that imagination and the entertainment. And that's part of who you are, man. And you saying right there, like, I can be there. I could be at a party and entertain people. I'm great to have a party. Like, you're saying that about yourself. You know what I mean? Like, so that's silly. I know you look at it differently, but I just want to tell you from my perspective, I think who you are is awesome, dude. And, you know, I 
looking at it that way is how how I how I see you and just proud of you for that, man. I, I really appreciate that. Um, you know, it's <clears throat> when I thought about that, that's how I came across. But uh, you know, present day is that all that stuff is healing and therapeutic to me. Mm-hmm. You know, because I, I can't take medicines, I can't go to the doctor and say, "Hey, can you give me?" so-and-so to make me calm down or can you do this because I'm feeling really low or, um, you know, I'm going at a mania episode, can you calm me down? Mm-hmm. But if I can plug in a guitar and sit down and get engulfed in whether it's Kiss music or my other passion, which is the old new metal groove metal thing, corn, Slipknot, Deftones, mm-hmm. stuff like that, and just get lost in those, then that helps me. You know, if, if it's cooking... God, I don't know, just something wacky, spicy chicken or whatever. Hmm. Kupo, you know, chef. <laughs> I, I, when I cook, I, I cook as the sweetest chef. <laughs> I just make the noises, you know, I'm a I do all this nonsense, but it's creative to me, so it does give me an outlet <clears throat> Absolutely. for that ther- therapy and recovery. But I do appreciate that. I mean, you, you see it as me, and that's through this time, Dustin, and it's one thing that I wish people did see is that there's more to me than just a guy who's doing all these things with bipolar. Right. I just wish they could see that I'm doing these things with the bipolar. It's like, oh, well, yeah, he has that, but that's totally irrelevant. He does this anyway. Right. Well, speaking of you getting into the uh, new metal and other rock music and acts and stuff i saw you got tagged in an announcement for something coming up this summer what can you tell us about r and r 500 well it's the rock and roll 500 and coming home to cleveland and doing the whole radio thing um once you know the, the outlet i'm in is very small right now but there are plans that we're going to expand that and hopefully by the time this rolls around this will be there but you know i I'm a showman. Let's let's just be honest with it. I wanna <laughs> I wanna be in the bright lights. I want people to know my name. I wanna do things to entertain. I wanna do things for people to have fun. And one of the biggest names in Cleveland radio, as far as hosts are concerned, is Rover over at WMMS and he has his Rover Fest over here. It's kind of his signature event. He draws a lot of people. I get some decent bands to go in there, they have a good time. But people as soon as you hear Roverfest, you know it's associated with. So I feel I needed something that I could do. And I wanted to take all the aspects of my personality and kind of put it in the one event. And what the Rock and Roll 500 is, is I'm getting uh, over at Boss Pro Kart Racing over by the airport. It's an indoor go-kart track, which is absolutely phenomenal. These go-karts go 35, 40 miles an hour. You have to wear a bodysuit. You have to wear a helmet, gloves, shoes, all that stuff. They just fly around this track, but that goes back to my involvement with NASCAR and just racing in general because that is a part of me. It was a big part of my radio career and my learning and everything going through the ranks. So I want to incorporate that, but at the same time, you know, it is that music. It is Corn and Limp Biscuit and Slipknot, Mudvayne, all those guys. And I'm very partial to that, and I like to play them. And I haven't played out in a long, long time. And... I figured that in seven months, you know, you, I, I'm not the thinnest of people, but I was a lot bigger a few, a, a, about a year ago than I am today. And I'm still continuing to get down to that point. It was kind of a motivational thing to say, Hey man, you couldn't play an hour or two that music, but the state that you're in, so you got to lose weight. So mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to that, but we're going to actually perform on that show with, uh, I got some of the, Man, top-notch guys. We had a practice last week, our first practice, and my gosh, I got I found some really good dudes to play with. I mean, not just good guys in, by their personalities, but just fantastic musicians. And we are going to rock out at the end of this thing with a 15-song new metal, groove metal list that, you know, everybody heard. You know, your Godsmacks, your Limp Bizkit, Incubus, all the, all those bands that are familiar with those those one off songs that even though you may not like that style of music you knew those songs and you at least appreciated that and there's going to be food there's going to be drinks racing rock and roll I mean 
just everything in, encompassed in one night. And I hope to make that my signature event here in Cleveland for the, for the next few years to come. Awesome. That sounds like a lot of fun. I'm definitely have my interest peaked and looking forward to it. All right. Well, John, this has been great. You've been doing great things and you've been through some tough things, but you're continuing to fight not only for yourself, but to bring joy to others. Man, I, I really hope you continue to find success on WNT in Cleveland or wherever your path takes you. But you know that I got your back uh, and I'm very excited for you in your future, man. Just just keep fighting. Keep doing what you're doing. And I, as I say here at SU2G, just keep moving forward. Step up to greatness. Thanks for coming on, man. Hey, Dustin, before I go, man, there's one thing I want to say to your audience and everybody in your camp as well. Um, to your mom, to your dad, to your brothers, your friends, your wife, everybody like that, is that um, I've met a lot of great people in my life, whether it was professionally, some administrators that I've had through the years in school, some people that helped me get to the radio thing, but there are far and few between than Dustin Gruss as far as what he does to not only bring out the best in himself, because, you know, through this interview is that we've heard, yeah, he worked at Lids, and I know that he worked for the post office at one time, and you've always persevered to get through the things that maybe you don't want to do in chase of that goal that what you want to do, and I think what you're doing with me today is part of that. Um, but what you've turned into, Dustin, is as far as not only a friend to myself, but as an advocate for what I stand for, but kind of being that guy who has been with me this whole journey, but you've turned into a hell of a young man. And I know you're only a few years younger than me, but it, it's something that when I look at and I see people in my life that I can point out to say, okay, that person did it, that person did it, that person did it to kind of mold me into where I stand today. You're a big part of that, buddy. And I want to thank you very much for being that person for me. Thank you, man. I, I, I'm kind of speechless, and I, I, I appreciate that more than I could say. Um, I appreciate you and, and you know, you just, again, continuing to fight and try to lift up others. That's, you know, part of what I'm trying to do as well, just lift up others and encourage them and inspire them and proud to stand by your side in, in that journey, man. So thank you. No problem, buddy. Thank you so much for this time, and let's do it again soon, buddy. Absolutely, buddy. All right, everyone. Again, that was John Cupo of the John Cupo Show. His show is on mornings from 6 to 9 a.m. on WINT Radio. You could stream it live on WINTRadio.com. Great guy, great guest, and great things coming out of him in the future. As for me, I'm Dustin Gruss, the Greatness Facilitator. Always happy to help you out. If there's anything going on in your life that I can help you, Feel free to contact me. If there's anyone you want me to have on as guests, let me know. I would love to hear from you. In the meantime, keep moving forward and step up to greatness. I'm ready.